We will let our children be dismissed for their time of worship that is different than ours. As they go, let us pray together. Lord, we are willing. We're at least willing to be here this morning. We're at least willing to listen to Scripture, to a sermon. Make us at least willing to be open to your voice that continues to speak in the world in ways that we can never fully quantify or calculate. But let it be that which most affects us this day. In the name of word made flesh, Jesus the Lord, we pray. Amen. Friends stopped by the office this week with a book for me. I'm always grateful for books. But I teased him and said, now, is this the book that has all the answers to life? Because I've been looking for that book for quite a while. He laughed because he knows, like me, that we would all love such a book. Because we love, we love frankly, being in control. I don't care who we are or what our age, we love being in control. Kids love to be in control. Ask fathers on this Father's Day. They love to be in control. Teenagers love to be in control. All of us, whether we're introverts, extroverts, we don't necessarily want to stand in the pulpit and preach, but we would like for people to do what we think is right because we think it. It's right. Robert Earl Keene had a song that said, If I were the king of this old crazy world, I'm telling you there'd be some changes made. I love that. And by the way, I had to, I had to sing because the guy last week sang. And <laughs> he was cool. I want to be cool. I want to be in control. Carol sang one time in a sermon. but he didn't sing Robert Earl Keene, so there you go. We think we know what it takes to be the king of the world. And yet, do we really know? Do we really have any idea of the right course for life, for our own lives? Do we really know how things ought to come out? Shel Silverstein had a poem some years ago in a children's book, It was entitled, God's Wheel. God says to me with kind of a smile, how would you like to be God for a while and steer the world? Okay, says I, I'll give it a try. Where do I sit? How much do I get? What time is lunch? When do I quit? Give me back that wheel, says God. I don't think you're quite ready yet. We don't quite know, do we? You've heard before the story of the woodcutter's horse. The poor woodcutter owned a horse that was the envy of everyone in the village and in the kingdom beyond. Even the king came one day and offered him a handsome sum for this beautiful horse, but the man refused. He said, this horse is like family to me. You don't sell family. The villagers were amazed that he had turned down the king and turned down this enormous sum of money and their amazement was even heightened when that evening the horse disappeared 
Oh, the villagers said, what a fool you are. You should have sold the horse when you had the opportunity. Now your life is cursed. The woodcutter said, let's not judge so quickly. Only let's say the horse is not in the stable. Whether this is a curse or a blessing, we can't say. But the people laughed at him. They knew it was a curse. Two days later, though, the horse reappeared. Coming back not only itself, but bringing 12 other wild horses from the woods with him. And the villagers said, oh, how blessed you are. The woodcutter said, how do we know this is a blessing? Until we've read the whole story. You read the first page, you can't determine the outcome. But the people knew, you've got 12 new horses. The woodcutter's son began to train the horses. One day while training, he was bucked off a horse and he broke both of his legs. The villagers said to him, oh, you're right. This was a curse. Now there's no one to help you. The woodcutter said, well, we don't know. This is just a fragment. Life is so vast. I try to be content with what I know and don't assume what I don't know. Several weeks later, the country entered into a war with a neighboring country, a much larger country. They were doomed to lose, and yet the army came through every village and conscripted every young man capable of fighting the battle with them. They came to the village and took all the men, except, of course, the one with two broken legs. Oh, said the villagers, You are so blessed. Our sons have gone off to war. We may never see them again. But your son, broken though he is, is still with you. The woodcutter said, No one is wise enough to see what will happen. Only God knows. Only God knows. Each week I make preparation for the sermon on the weekend and there are weeks when the sermon seems to come together and feels like it has a certain energy and a a power to it. Oh, I can't wait till Sunday, I think. I'm going to go in there. People are going to want to take notes on what I've said. It's going to be so strong. And I get about halfway through the sermon, and I look out in the congregation, and there are people with their hand up in the air saying, can we leave now? Because this is just... Other Sundays I come in here, and I think to myself, God, if you'll just get me through to lunchtime... If maybe the people could all fall into a trance during the sermon, then we could all just get through this and I'll stand at the door and people will say, well, I heard the word of the Lord today. That was powerful. It caused me to think more deeply about who I am and what I'm called to be. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if someone scatters seed on the ground, and then sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed begins to sprout. We know not how. This parable is revealing what preachers know is true, but we try to keep quiet about, and that is this. We don't fully understand 
We can't fully analyze and quantify the mystery of the seed of God. These things of faith. We play our role. We scatter the seeds of the gospel. But we don't know how it sprouts or how it grows. While we're sleeping, something seems to work and move and awaken and animate the seed. The the biologists want to describe the process for us in analytical terms, but nobody can fully explain the mystery of that energy and how it comes to life and acts even when we're off duty while we're sleeping. For you see, we are not God. One of the reasons some scholars suggest that the commandment about Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments is because it allows us to recognize who we are. That the commandment to rest, to take a day off, is a way to remind us that ultimately we aren't in charge. Kentucky author Wendell Berry said that biggest mistake that happened in recent years in the culture we live in was the advent of the gasoline-powered tractor, as distinct from the mule-drawn tractor, because the mules had to stop and rest, whereas the gasoline-powered tractor could go on and on, and then to make matters worse, they put headlights on the tractors so that you don't have to rise and sleep night and day. You can just keep on going as if you're God and your fields can get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why the Sabbath was built into our lives, built into the rhythm of who we are as a kind of natural guard to remember who we are, to remember that life and our understanding has limits. And a far older storyteller, even than Wendell Berry, told this long ago. A story about Adam and Eve in the garden. Free to eat and partake of anything in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This wasn't a a story to promote stupidity. Rather, this was a story to promote humility. To recognize who we are and the limits of our understanding. Samuel, the great prophet, disappointed that Saul had not turned out to be a very effective king, was disappointed until God sent him to Jesse, a man with a number of sons. One of these will be king, God said to Samuel. And when the oldest Son came in, tall and strapping. Samuel said, surely this one is God's anointed. But it wasn't him, nor his brother, nor the next. It was the least likely to be chosen that God saw as the one to be king. We don't fully understand the ways of God. There's so much we don't know. So we're scattered to seed. 
It falls to the ground. We sleep and rise night and day. And the seed begins to sprout. We know not how. But here is what we do know. We know that while we're sleeping, something is at work in the world for good. Something is at work that we might miss or avoid or deny, but it is nurturing and animating and creating something that will feed our deepest hunger. This is God. This is God. This week, my family of origin came to pay a visit. They were here in town for about three hours, which is a couple, maybe an hour too long. But um, my family, unlike yours, is a bit raggedy, can we say. Um, despite the efforts of my parents and others to rein in my extended family, to kind of control the situation, to evangelize them and bring them into church. Let's just say my family has some issues. There have been poor choices. There are drugs. I now have a great great niece over in Richmond, Kentucky, who is in a rehab center for her addiction to methamphetamines. Ten months ago, she became a mother. It's a mess. But while we were sleeping, something else was born. The baby's grandmother, my niece, and the baby's aunt, the older sister of the mother in rehab, have utterly put their lives on hold in order to take in this baby. They're schlepping around all this baby stuff. My niece is only a few years younger than I am. She didn't sign up for this task, but she's doing it. She's caring for this grandchild. We took her to a restaurant. The baby's screaming and throwing stuff around. They're taking pictures and laughing and celebrating and tending to this baby. Oh, so carefully. I tried to hand the baby a french fry and they knocked it out of my hand. They said, don't you give that baby fried food. (laughs) They're so excited about the baby about to walk. My family has tried to evangelize my niece and her daughter for years. And they've resisted. They've resisted. And yet here they are. They're living the gospel. They're laying down their lives for another. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It takes your your breath away and you ask, how did that happen? How did this harvest come to be? Jesus said, the kingdom of God, it's like the sower scattering seeds. And you go home and sleep, and it begins to sprout. You know not how. It is interesting to me that God chooses not to be the star on Broadway, 
with God's name on the marquee and the spotlight focused on God. That's not how God works. God is more like the ticket taker at the community theater. Very subtle, modest, behind the scenes. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a little tiny seed. He said when you plant it in the ground, it grows and it becomes the greatest of all shrubs. Shrubs? Shrubs? Surely that's a, that's a misquote there. That's a misprint. Surely Jesus meant trees, right? Like the oak trees, like the trees of Lebanon that we hear about in the Hebrew Scripture. Or like the tree firmly planted by the waters in Psalm chapter 1. Surely, Jesus, you meant trees, right? Magnificent trees. No, he says, shrubs. Birds come along, make their home in the shrubs. Kind of anticlimactic, really. Not all that impressive. And that's the way God works. The kingdom of God is like this. I read in our newsletter recently that some folks are putting together what they call a shawl ministry. I thought maybe it was an intent try to make our scary church be a little less scary by having everybody kind of look old and and uh, or maybe I thought maybe it might be for members like my wife who are always cold whether they're in the sanctuary or the Sunday school class you know a shawl ministry now they explained what what this is is that folks get together and knit a shawl for a person who is in need They turn the yarn into knots, and with every knot, they offer this prayer. They pray into each stitch, and then they give the shawl to the person in need. It's not much. It's not going to change the world. It wasn't intended to change the world. It was intended to plant seeds. And we'll go to sleep and we'll rise and sleep night and day. And we'll see what happens. What do you think will happen? A few blocks from here, just outside of Carmichael's bookstore, someone has taken some sidewalk chalk and written on the concrete side religion is a fairy tale religion is a fairy tale I'm not offended by that I I understand and even empathize with a person whose experience in religion has become arrested so that it hasn't grown much beyond sort of an adolescent understanding of religion which does kind of sound like a fairy tale. But I would ask in response, which is more of a stretch? Which one feels more like fairy tale? The fact that life is utterly indifferent, black and white, fixed, 
only rational and scientific, or that this world is sacred, that there exists in and among this creation a force of love that is awakening people here and there and now and then to see this beauty and mystery and life all in an effort to restore this creation, to say that this world wasn't made just for the elite few to plunder and do whatever they want, but that the world was made for all of us, that we're all called as brothers and sisters to live in harmony because of this mystery of love who who is God, the kingdom of God. It's like seed. It's like, it's like a mustard seed. It's what Jesus invites us to recognize. That the kingdom of God has been planted among us. Among us. And that God is at work and we are invited to join in. Dave McNeely sent me a picture that he took last week from his home just up the road here on Cherokee. There's a brick wall that divides his property from the neighbors. It's a big, strong brick wall. The mortar's intact. It's sturdy. It seems impenetrable. Except that there is this single stem that is growing out of the side of a pinhole in this brick wall. There's no source of water that you can discern. And yet here's the stem, and at the end of the stem, a beautiful yellow flower. I could show you the picture, but I don't need to do that. For love is at work in your life, too. And if you'll open your eyes and let God be revealed to you, you also will see the wonders of God. Let's pray together. Praise be to you. You transcend science. You transcend the abilities of our imagination to see and discern all the places that you exist and move and break through this world. Praise be to you, O God, for sending Jesus to us to help us see and taste and experience the kingdom among us. Praise be to you, O God, for in this moment you continue to speak to your people. Lord, here am I. Amen.